Hey guys, welcome to Relatable. Happy Wednesday. Hope you guys have had a great week so far. I have so much that I want to talk about today. I want to talk about uh, the dad of an abused son here in Texas, potentially losing the custody battle after uh, the mother of this son is pushing her child to be transgender. I also want to talk about the Beth Moore, John MacArthur drama that has been going on over the past few days. There's a Pew Research poll that I want to cover. Uh, there's also this craziness. There's this craziness on social media about men being able to, this is about to be a PG word, parent, menstruate. I want to talk about all this stuff, but as I was preparing for this, there was really only one story that I was able to get through. We'll we'll see. We'll see how far we go. Uh, but before we get into that, I do want to tell you guys about Cabbage. Uh, so managing inventory, covering payroll, and doing about a million other things before lunch is just an average day for a small business owner. Your time is valuable, you know that, and getting the money you need shouldn't take up all of it. That is why Cabbage, spelled with a K, created a simple modern way for businesses to access up to $250,000 of credit. If you have ever started a business or tried to start a business, you know how valuable that could be. Uh, the application process for Cabbage is online takes only minutes to complete and get a decision. If your business does qualify, you can access the amount you need right away and withdraw more funds whenever you need extra capital. That's amazing. Uh, Cabbage has an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau and has provided over 200 thousand, 200,000 small businesses with access to funding. Uh, get the money you need to run your small business today. Go to cabbage.com. Again, that's cabbage spelled with the K.com and use code Allie, A-L-L-I-E to get a hundred dollar credit on your first loan statement. That is cabbage.com. Use code Allie for that hundred dollar credit. Okay, let's go ahead and get started on today's episode. Um, I want to talk about, this is the story that has been dominating really my brain for the past few days and will probably dominate this episode. Who knows, we could get through it really quickly depending on how quickly I talk because I'm so passionate about it. Um, it is the court case out of Texas involving a seven-year-old boy whose mother insists that he is transgender and wants him to be chemically castrated. Uh, let us talk about a little bit about this background in case you guys haven't been following. Again, this is out of Texas. This is not California. This is not Canada. This is not happening in the UK. All the places that you think are more, quote, progressive than the United States. This is happening in Texas. Uh, this is happening to a boy named James, who is, like I said, seven years old, and he has been caught in the middle of a court battle between his parents. Um, let me tell you a little bit about his family. He has a twin brother named Jude, their mother, who is not actually their biological mother, by the way. Uh, she and her ex-husband used an egg donor. Uh, she insists that James identifies as a girl, has shown an interest in girls' clothing and toys for years, and has wanted to be called Luna. She actually claims that he first wanted to be called Starfire, but because she's um, you know, the responsible parent that she is, she said that he should be called Luna. So she says that he wants to be called this name of Luna. This is according to the Federalist last year, 2018. Uh, in their divorce proceedings, the mother has charged the father with child abuse. 
for not affirming James as transgender, has sought restraining orders against him, the father, and is seeking to terminate his parental rights. She is also seeking to require him to pay for the child's visits to a transgender affirming therapist and transgender medical alterations, which may include hormonal sterilization starting at age eight. At age eight. Uh, 11 out of 12 jurors ruled in favor of the mother, which means right now to keep the status quo with joint custody. The final verdict apparently will be announced today, uh, despite the fact that multiple friends, multiple friends of the family have affirmed that James behaves like a boy, that he dresses like a boy, and refers to himself as a boy in every single instance that they know of, except, except when he is under his mother's supervision. There is a woman by the name of Sarah Scott, whose sons are best friends with these boys, this group of boys. They call themselves the Wolf Pack. Uh, James, whose mom calls him Luna, like we said, and and Jude Younger, they're a part of this little group. Uh, she has started a Facebook page called Save James. She described herself to the Federalist last year as sensitive to allowing James to choose his gender and his gender pronouns. And she, even with that mindset, of course, that's not the mindset that I have or most of you have, but that's her mindset. She is confident that James identifies with with his biological sex. She said this in a post on this Facebook page. It's long, so I'll just read you some excerpts. Yesterday, and this is her speaking, I was supposed to testify in the case for the custody of James and Jude Younger. Unfortunately, I was called into the courtroom and dismissed 30 seconds later because the judge said that the lawyers needed to rest their case. Over the past year, I have observed that James is blissfully happy as a boy. He loves to march around outside and yell, we are the only Boy Scout troop, or I'm the leader of the Wolf Pack. He loves dressing as a superhero and sword fighter. One day, James slipped in some mud and got his clothes dirty. He asked if he could borrow some of my kids' clothes and I could wash and I could wash his. I said, "Hang on, while I grab a shirt from the closet." He said, "Miss Sarah, I don't need a shirt. Boys don't have to wear shirts if they don't want to. Isn't that awesome?" And I said, "Yes, that is awesome." He also likes having his hair cut in a certain way, but told my son Grayson that his mom wouldn't let him get it too short, even though he wanted it to be spiky. James is clearly embarrassed by things that happen with his mom. We were all discussing what they were going to be for Halloween, and my boys asked James, and he said, it's a secret. I'm embarrassed. We immediately changed the subject, but there have been many instances like that. That is heartbreaking. She goes on to talk about James's brother, Jude, who is also suffering in the midst of this. She describes watching him cling to his dad when he's supposed to go to his mom's house, uh, telling his dad that he doesn't want to go, that he wants to stay with his dad. Jude has also told Sarah that things that he likes just happen to strangely disappear when he's at his mom's house, um, like shoes that he got from his dad. Sarah also says that uh, she suspects that there's neglect from the mother. She says in this post, in the winter, we regularly met for dinner on the Thursday nights that Jeff had the boys. They came out of her, of her home inappropriately dressed for weather and clothes that were ill-fitting and not at all warm enough. Pants that were too tight and short, shoes that they couldn't run in and no coats, even when it was extremely cold. Truth be told, I'm not sure how often she is home. The boys told me that mom was at work a lot and that their sisters or someone else watched them. No parent is perfect, she says, but both boys adore their dad. He is firm but gentle, never raises his his voice and the kids respond really well to his authority. 
it was uh, the mother who chose this gender, this is me talking now, this, uh, it was the mother who chose a gender transition therapist who is exclusively affirming of gender transition for children. And this therapist herself said in a court file dossier that the only time James showed any signs, any signs of identifying as a girl or as Luna was when his mother was present in the appointment. Any other time, any other time, he said that he was a boy and that his name is James. That alone, right there, shows that he does not suffer from what is called gender dysphoria. It's characterized by a persistent insistence upon being the opposite sex. So from what we can tell, it is this mom who seems to be suffering from her own psychological sickness, and she needs to be put away. I'm not afraid to say that. She needs to be put away, whether she goes to prison or whether she uh, is put in some kind of rehabilitation program uh, for mental disturbance. She needs to be separated from her child. She has no business whatsoever parenting these children, as horrible as that is. This isn't a matter of her just having different beliefs than me. I would never say that a child should be taken away from their parent just because I don't like how they parent. It's not just a matter of different parenting methods. This is a matter of uh, of abuse. This is a matter of taking away children from a dad who is known by every account that we have uh, for being loving and able to take care of these boys. Uh, there should be no question. There should be no question about who gets custody in this case from the information that we have. This is sexual and psychological and emotional abuse from the mother, and there should be no contest about this. Now, you may be thinking, well, Allie, we don't have the full story. There may be more that we don't know. No, all I need to know, all I need to know is that uh, the mother is encouraging her son to be a girl. That's all I need to know. Whether or not he says he's a girl, that is wrong. Even if he insisted that he is a girl and wanted to dress like a girl, even then, sending him to a counselor who has said that she would start him on puberty blockers and later hormone therapy before he even reaches the age of 12, that is abuse. Why? Because he's seven years old. Do you know that the frontal lobe of our brains actually doesn't develop until we are 25 do you know how little understanding of anything a seven-year-old actually has outside of just instinct? They do have some understanding, of course, of the world and interpersonal interaction and all of that. He obviously knows enough to know that he's a boy and wants to act and behave like a boy. But do you know how, uh, how small the decision-making capacity is of a seven-year-old child? Uh, most seven-year-olds believe in Santa Claus uh, and the Tooth Fairy and the Easter Bunny. They barely have the mental capability to think about the logistics of a man riding around in a sleigh that is pulled by flying reindeer and going into a chimney and dropping off gifts. Like they don't even have the ability to think about the fact that that probably doesn't work logistically. But you're going to tell me, some people are going to tell me that they have the ability to decide whether or not they want to permanently and irrevocably harm their bodies by manipulating their hormones before they even hit puberty. That's what you're going to tell me? Can you tell me in what world that actually makes any sense whatsoever? Uh, they don't have that capacity, which means any parent who allows this or encourages this, even by way of cross-dressing, is abusing their child. Uh, they are tormenting their child. They are confusing their child. Ask yourselves this, liberals who are in support of this, and not all liberals are in support of this, by the way, but uh, to the liberals who are in support of this or who think it's no big deal and they shouldn't really say anything, why do you hate science? Why do you hate the human body? Why do you hate anatomy? Why do you hate biology so much? 
we can have a conversation. We can have an honest, in good faith conversation about harmful gender stereotypes. We can talk about boys liking ballet. We can agree on that. We can agree on it being okay for boys to like sad movies or romantic novels. We can talk about uh, girls liking football or four-wheeling or transformers. We can talk about all that. We can encourage a variety of interests, but why do we have to encourage in that the degradation, the mutilation, and the abuse of the human body, especially a child? Uh, Someone who suffers truly suffers from gender dysphoria, which it sounds like this little boy James doesn't actually, but someone who actually suffers from gender dysphoria is not healed by genital mutilation. They're not even healed by cross-dressing. This is why the suicide rate for people who transition from one gender to the other via surgery is 19 times higher than the rest of the population. And that was a study out of Sweden where there is virtually no social stigma whatsoever about being transgender. Uh, They have been given the wrong solution to their problems. The only way for any sort of healing is via a counselor or a psychiatrist who can help this person make peace with their body, reconcile with the body that they have. Uh, It is not compassionate to indulge someone's hatred of their own body. And again, this is outside of the case that we're talking about in just the transgender movement in general. Uh, People who struggle with eating disorders, for example, often have something called body dysmorphia. That's not in every case in which someone has an eating disorder, but in many cases, they struggle with something called body dysmorphia. So it's different than gender dysphoria, but it has some psychological similarities. They look in the mirror. They see themselves as fat, even though they're not. They keep starving themselves or throwing up their food or over-exercising as they tell themselves that, okay, in just a few more pounds, I'll be fine. When I reach a certain weight, then I'll be content. When I fit into a certain size, then I'll be satisfied. And anyone that has had an eating disorder, I had had an eating disorder in, in college and it wasn't this kind of thing. It was more about control and just a whole difficult season that I was going through, but I can relate to this in a way. Anyone with an eating disorder can tell you the disorder is never resolved by reaching a certain weight or fitting into a certain size. Why? Because it is the mind that is struggling. It is the mind that needs healing, not the body that needs changing. Uh, Would it then be loving of us if we're going on this example as a society or as a counselor or as a friend of the person with an eating disorder to affirm their dysmorphia by telling the person suffering that they are, in fact, fat when they're not fat? Uh, Would it be loving to say, yes, you are overweight when they're not actually overweight? Yes, there is a little bit of a muffin top left that you could probably get off if you worked a little bit harder. Yes, I do see a few dimples of cellulite that you could probably get rid of. Yes, you could stand to lose uh, a few more pounds when they actually have no pounds to lose to actually make them healthy. Would it be loving or kind to affirm someone in this? No, of course it wouldn't. We all know that it wouldn't. It would be loving to help them make peace with the body that they've been given and to treat it with respect and to be actually healthy. The same goes for people with gender dysphoria. No, your body is not a mistake. You were born a female and you are a female. It's okay if you don't like to go shopping. It's okay if you don't like romantic movies. It's okay that you like sports. All of these things are okay and you are a woman. 
You are, we know as Christians, made in the image of God. You were created purposefully without mistake. That is the loving thing to tell someone. That is the loving thing to do is the right thing to do. This goes for any mental struggle that we have. If you're wrestling with anxiety or fear as your friend, I am not going to affirm your paranoia in that I am not going to say, yes, everyone probably does hate you. You're right. You are really embarrassing. You probably will be a failure forever. Everyone probably is out to get you. You are going to sound really stupid whenever you talk. That's not the loving thing to do. No, I am going to help you uh, lean on God, trust in God, his sovereignty, and to help you reconcile with reality, make peace with reality. I don't want your mind to be at war with what is true and what is right. People who struggle with gender dysphoria deserve compassion, and they deserve to get help that actually makes sense. Uh, we talked about a story last week about a former transgender activist in the UK who detransitioned and is raising awareness about the hastiness of doctors to transition patients without considering other solutions or uh, taking into account other mental health problems that they have or that they may be suffering from that can contribute to a dysphoric view of their bodies. There was this whole study uh, not too long ago and this professor who conducted the study got dragged through the mud for saying that there actually is a social component to what is called rapid onset gender dysphoria in teenagers, that it actually happens not because they are uncomfortable in their own skin or they want to be the opposite sex, but because there are these pods online on YouTube, on social media, uh, on Tumblr, whatever it is that kids use these days to interact with one another that encourage this idea that they should be transgender, this idea that they should be queer, that they should be gender fluid. It's become almost trendy, almost uh, cool in a way, and gives them kind of a sense of belonging if they're struggling with adolescence to say, yeah, I'm transgender. That is why there is such a strong connection between children with autism often and transgenderism. It is a disorder of the mind. It is a developmental issue often when it happens in adolescence and it's not something to be indulged in that is not loving. Um, but unfortunately, this is going to happen more and more as we begin to see the sad results of people being victimized by the lie that your body is a mistake and is at war with who you, quote, actually are which is, the world tells us, is just how you feel. Um, if you haven't listened to the interview that I did with Nancy Piercy, who is a professor, she's author of the book Love Thy Body. She wrote a ton of other awesome books. Um, I conducted this interview a few weeks ago. You've got to go listen to this conversation. She is brilliant. Um, you can watch it on YouTube. You can listen anywhere you listen to podcasts. She explains in her book, that the secular ethic of the body is a separation of the outer self and the inner self with the inner self and its feelings being the the real self and the body simply being a tool for the inner self to use however it sees fit, which of course is relative and subjective to however, whatever your whim is at the moment, which means that the body has no natural or specified purpose in this worldview in itself, but rather its purpose is determined by our feelings. This applies not just to transgenderism, but she argues also homosexuality and abortion and hookup culture as well. It is the biblical ethic of the individual that honors the body as an image bearer of God created purposefully for particular functions that are not just good for us physically, but right for us emotionally, healthy for us spiritually as well. And it is specifically the Christian outlook 
that further views uh, views the body not only as made in God's image, but also a dwelling place for the Holy Spirit if you are a believer. 1 Corinthians 6, 18 through 20 says this, Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. There is no way to glorify God with our bodies by distorting the body's purpose. The purpose of the human body and gender and sexuality are so important uh, that God actually specifies his will for these things in the very beginning at the dawn of time. He wastes no time whatsoever saying this is what your body is created for. There is a specific function for the body. And when you go outside of this, not only is it immoral according to the only standard setter that we have, which is the God of the universe, um, it is also going to end in destruction and despair and pain and sadness. Uh, when it comes to gender, which does correspond with sex and has for all of human history, by the way, when it comes to gender, Genesis 127 says this, so God created man in his own image, in the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. For the Christians, for believers in God's word, end of story, end of story when it comes to gender. There is no other way to interpret that. And no, gender and sex, as I said, are not separate. Sex corresponds with gender and except in rare cases, which people are suffering from a mental disorder, they have always corresponded. Uh, when it comes not just to sex and gender, but also sexuality, God says this at the dawn of time, Genesis 2:24. therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And as we know from the episode on biblical marriage that I did a few months ago, there's a deeper reality to that verse that underscores the importance of a marriage being between a man and a woman. There is gospel significance. As I've said many times, the male and female marriage is rooted in creation. It is reiterated in the New Testament. It is reflected in Christ's relationship with the church, which is representative of the gospel. And I'm going to bring this all full circle to the case that we were talking about. But Ephesians 5, 28 through 33 says this, in the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ in the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself. Himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. No, Christianity doesn't base its adherence to heterosexual marriage uh, off of a few verses, though it would be okay if it did, but it doesn't. It bases its definition of marriage on a mysterious yes, per yet persistent truth that is used as a thread to pull us through the pages of scripture as we see that the Bible starts with a marriage and ends with a marriage. God's definition of sexuality of gender, of sex, and of marriage are purposeful. They are fixed. They are scientific. They are significant. They are not meant to be manipulated. And when they are, as we see, the result is confusion and chaos and pain. This is also why, by the way, it has become impossible to be a leftist and a Christian. You cannot call yourself a proper leftist 
if you believe in this biblical definition of uh, marriage and sex and gender and sexuality. You just can't. You have to pick one. Uh, This is also why Christians, uh, the time has come and gone for us to be able to separate politics from the rest of our lives. We can't be apathetic anymore. Uh, We can't be shy about it. We can't be quiet about this. We can't refuse to talk about the so-called controversial social or cultural issues because they're awkward for us to discuss and they might hurt people's feelings. We can't avoid this anymore. Do you care about your children? I know all of you listening who have kids do. If you care about your children, we have to look at what is happening in Texas, Texas, to a seven-year-old boy, not California, Texas, where because of a fear of the leftist mob, a judge and a jury are giving a woman the right to chemically castrate her son without the consent of his father. This is something that Christians should care about. And just because we find our basis for gender and sex and sexuality in the Bible doesn't mean that we shouldn't be talking about this stuff. There is right and wrong. End of story. And if God doesn't exist, there is no right and wrong. So it doesn't make any sense for us not to talk about God when we're talking about issues of morality. And this is not just an issue of science. It is an issue of morality. And it threatens all of us, not just this family. According to the Heritage Foundation, Last year in Ohio, a judge removed a biological girl from her parents' custody after they uh, declined to help her, quote, transition to male with testosterone supplements. The Cincinnati Children's Gender Clinic recommended these treatments for gender dysphoria. Uh, When her parents wanted to treat her with counseling instead, the county prosecutor charged them with abuse and neglect, while transgender activists and pro-trans doctors compared their decision to denying treatment for asthma or even cancer patients. That all happened, this article says, without federal legislation. And here's where we need to pay attention right now. But now, the article goes on to say, one of House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's top legislative priorities, the Equality Act, could give the transgender community a vice grip over the medical profession. It could open the floodgates for lawsuits against doctors who don't fall in line with transgender ideology. Politicizing the medical treatment of gender dysphoria could lead to more prosecutions against parents who refuse to aid in the sterilization of their children. As more doctors recommend that children take puberty blockers at age 11, cross sex hormones at 16, and undergo sex reassignment surgeries at 18, parents who resist could face charges of child abuse and lose custody of their children. Go back and listen to episode 115 about the Equality Act in full later if you are interested about that piece of legislation that is the darling legislation of the left of the current Democratic Party and will continue to be pushed for years to come until it is passed. The time has come and gone for Christians uh, to be apathetic. The article also goes on to say the American Psychological Association's Manual of Mental Disorders classifies gender dysphoria as a mental illness. Research shows that 75 to 95 percent of children with gender dysphoria who go through through puberty without any transgender treatments actually become comfortable with their bodies. But the transgender movement ignores these statistics, aggressively aggressively pushing for gender dysphoric children to be treated with non-FDA approved uses of drugs, even though side effects can include loss of bone density, decline of cognitive ability, and infertility. I've said it before, and I will say it again. There will come a day when the government, run by leftists and acquiesced by weak conservatives, will come for your kids. Because you are not teaching them that gender is a social construct. 
You are not teaching them to hate their bodies and that they should transition into another sex if they feel just a little bit confused when they're seven years old. How did this happen? Well, a few things. Uh, Conservatives are certainly to blame, not as much as the left maybe, but maybe so. Maybe we're equally to blame. Uh, Conservatives gave up on public education, surrendered it to the left. Conservatives have given up on social issues and on the belief that God is the foundation for conservatism because we think that we'll gain more young people by embracing moral relativism and only focusing on capitalism. Uh, Godlessness has taken root as we have replaced the God of scripture with the God of self. And what are the only two values, as we've talked about so many times on this podcast, that the God of self has? Doing what you want to do and being yourself, having uh, autonomy and being able to do you. That's it. And if these are your only two values, then anything goes. Morality is uh, completely relative. You are your own God. So you are your own arbiter of truth and right and wrong. And you will employ the powers of the government to ensure that you can live authentically and that no one, not even a parent, is allowed to get in the way. It's all connected, guys, by the way. This is why I think it's stupid for conservatives to give up on the social issues as if they're not all connected. Godlessness is the basis for ideologies like socialism and communism, when you have to employ the powers of the government to take care of you and to make sure that you are able to live in your morally relative bubble and then, you know, religious bigots can't get in the way. That is why communism, socialism never exists alongside religious liberty. Uh, there's a group called the Kelsey Coalition that calls attention to how the medical system um, surrenders their better judgment when treating kids with gender dysphoria and instead given to uh, given hastily to their desire for a transition. One mom shared her story about her daughter, and it's just totally tragic. It is hard to believe that my once beautiful, healthy child, now 19 years old, is in and out of homelessness, bearded, her breasts amputated and reproductive organs removed, and living in extreme poverty, all just to be her, quote, authentic self. She goes on to explain that her daughter never showed signs of gender dysphoria, but that she was just struggling in her teenage years, as most of us do. I don't think any of us can say we were completely comfortable in our skin for all of our teenage years. And so she took her daughter to a counselor. Uh, Her daughter was insecure. She was anxious. Um, Eventually, the counselors actually suggested that she may have gender dysphoria because she wasn't comfortable in her skin and she was insecure and that she should maybe start on testosterone therapy. The mother was skeptical and she was sad, but she wanted her daughter to be happy, to get better, to feel whole. So she hoped for the best. And she told the doctors that actually she doesn't think that her daughter has gender dysphoria. She thinks that she's on the autism spectrum, but uh, they didn't listen. She now realizes this mom, what a mistake this all was. This is what happens when a society is marked by godlessness. It makes no sense. There is no moral standard. There is no uh, cohesive, comprehensive, logical ethic of the body. It has no idea what is right and what is wrong. Science even starts to become subjective. It starts to bow to the God of self rather than to the God of scripture and you have chaos. And this is why Christians should not give in. This is why we have to care about what goes on politically. And this is why conservatives can't give up on the social and the cultural stuff because it matters. It is all connected. And this is why, yet again, it is so hard, if not completely impossible, for someone with a biblical worldview, with a Christian ethic, 
to also be on the left side of the aisle. That is not saying that God is going to ask you whether you are on the left or the right when you get to heaven. I'm not saying that's the standard for salvation. Of course not. Jesus has reached that standard on our behalf and God transcends politics. But I'm saying if you want a worldview that makes any sense whatsoever, you can't be on the left and a Christian at the same time. You can't. You can't believe even a word of Genesis if you are going to be a leftist worth their salt. That God made them male and female and that he created one man for one woman and that is supposed to be the exclusive context of sex. You can't believe any of that if you are going to be a leftist these days. You just can't. That's why it's impossible. Okay, that's what I want to say about that. As you know, it's taken up pretty much the whole time. Now, let me just say one thing about this Beth Moore, John MacArthur drama because it's turned into this thing that I don't think it should even have turned into. Let me play you a clip. For your stretches, I will say a word and then the three of you need to give a one or a pithy response to the word. Are you ready? I feel like I'm being set up. (laughs) That is always the case with Todd. Watch out for him. He will try to embarrass you. We're going to start out. This is this is just kind of touching your toes. Easy, easy setup for you. Let's begin with an easy one. The word is Beth Moore. <laughs> That's two words. <laughs> Literalist. All right. Dr. MacArthur, Beth Moore. How many words do I get? You know, Actually, and and before you answer this, please think carefully this time, because last time you did a one-word association, the guy wrote a book about it, and we don't want that. I was thinking of the same word. Okay. Go home. (laughs) Okay, so there are very mixed reactions to this. I'm just going to be honest with you, and I've gotten a lot of blowback for this uh, from Christians, Christians that I agree with and Christians that I respect. Okay, let me, but let me say before I give my opinion, I love John MacArthur. I have learned so much from him. I listen to his sermons very often. I read his books. I align with him on I maybe everything theologically. Maybe, no, maybe not everything because we probably disagree about the role of the government and things like that. But gosh, I respect him. He has been a faithful minister, preacher of the word for I think it's over 50 years now. I can't even scratch the surface in my brain of the knowledge that he has of the Bible. And I just respect him so much and love everything that he has done for the kingdom of God or God has done through him. So let me say that. And on the other hand, uh, Beth Moore, unfortunately, I think has employed some false tactics in her preaching of the word. Um, She is also completely, completely swallowed the social justice doctrine and is peddling critical race theory on her Twitter page and befriends people who call themselves Christians yet are very obviously living in a way and preaching in a way that is uh, opposed to the word of God, like Jen Hatmaker, for example. Um, so that's where I stand with this, these two people. And uh, let me also say that I completely agree with John MacArthur about women preaching from the pulpit from the pulpit in church. I did an entire episode called Women in the Church that talks about why the Bible has reserved this specific role of ministry for men. There is a reason for it and it's a good reason. It's a protective reason of women. It's not a degrading reason toward women. So, all of that said, I just didn't like this clip. 
I just didn't like it. I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. I heard it. I understand John MacArthur is known for his very direct responses and saying go home wasn't necessarily bad in and of itself. I guess just the whole context of everything, the game that was being played, I know it's been played before. He said that Stephen Furtick was unqualified, which I also happen to agree with. Um, I just didn't like the celebration and the sneering and the laughter. It, to me, it seemed mean-spirited. Now, I understand people are saying, oh, why don't you just read the Bible? The Bible is a lot more harsh about this. Maybe you should be upset about the fact that Beth Moore is leading people astray. That's a false binary. I think that I can rejoice in the Bible's specified roles for men and women within marriage, within the church, whatever it was. I think I can agree with John MacArthur's reasoning and still watch the celebration or listen to the celebration and think, oh, I didn't really, I didn't like that. I think that there's a better, more effective way for rebuke. Um, you can disagree with me. That's totally fine. But gosh, some of you have lost your cool over me saying, oh, I didn't really love that. It wasn't really my favorite. Actually, when I first saw it or when I first listened to it, my heart kind of sank and I got a pit in my stomach thinking that's just going to give more fuel to the feminist fire, unfortunately. And it has. It has. And we can't control that. Of course, we can't control responses to the things that we say. I just didn't like it. I didn't think it was effective. Didn't think it was the right thing to do. And the crowd and the reaction just kind of all bothered me. So that's all I'm going to say. Now, you can disagree with me. We can agree to disagree and knowing that we agree on the on the issue that actually matters, which is the role of men and women within the church. Feel free to message me about that if you have any thoughts on it. I've gotten a ton of messages about it, though, from a lot of you who do agree with my reasoning and reaction and a lot of you who don't. And that's OK. To me, that's a very tertiary disagreement. Um, OK, that's all I have to say. And I hope that you guys have a great rest of your week, but we will be back here on Friday with an awesome interview, as always, that you're not going to want to miss. So I will see you then.